If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I don't know how you're feeling this morning, but I believe God's up to something. When I was a uh, director of missions over in Georgia and Greene County, I found out early on that some of, my, some of the churches that I was to visit were not particularly easy to find initially. I mean, they were out in the country. In fact, I went to the church that some of you know, um, Brother Perry Robbins. I went to the church that Brother Perry Robbins now pastors, West Salem. And I'm just going to tell you the truth. This confession I don't have to make. <clears throat> North Green County, 62 miles from where I lived, I got lost twice. Because I took just an easy, wrong turn. Now today, I can tell you how to get to that church, that church property, that church building. Because now I know where I'm going. And the truth is, West Salem is a beautiful edifice. It's a beautiful property. They've done a great job there. And it's a wonderful people. And it's pretty easy to find if you know where you're going. Y'all got me? You see, the truth is, we've been traveling this repentance road, this is now the third week, toward a revival. And I, I want to say this, and if you get offended, I, apologize, I don't apologize, I'm, just, I'm sorry you're offended. But the, the, but the repentance road to revival is not a familiar passage way. I mean, it's not our fault. The truth is, is that most of us really have not ever, we don't know how to get there because we've never traveled that road before or it's been a long time. Let me just give you this tidbit. You guys who are really older, you have gray hair or no hair. Back 40 years ago, I was here. 40 odd years ago, I was here. I will tell you, when I came back, when Deborah and I came back, first Sunday, December 19. If I hadn't had a GPS, I'd have made two or three wrong terms because I remembered it wrong because I hadn't traveled in a while. Do you have what? I, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? You gotta know where you're going. And I'm afraid that when it comes to this repentance road to revival, we don't know where we're. We don't really understand exactly where we're going. And somebody would go, "How come you would say that, Brother Jerry? How come?" But I would say that for a lot of reasons because there's been no great. Or spiritual awakenings that's been uh, continent-wide uh, in our lifetime, and the and the truth is, is that I hear the language and the cultural language that we use, particularly in this county, is that we're gonna have revival in two weeks. We'll have revival in two weeks. Well, really, really, we're gonna have a revival. Are we going to have revival services and prayer becoming a revival? For you see, weekly services do not necessarily a revival make. What we do when we set aside a time, we set aside space and time for us to get honest with God so that God can do what he wants to do in us, and that is move. He wants... To move in us. And when he moves, we'll be moved. I want to say that again. When he moves, we'll be moved. The hardest heart will be crushed. The most stubborn mind will be opened. The coldest soul will be warmed up toward him. 
You see, the truth is, is that to get where God, to get where God shows up means that we must travel this repentance road. And you go, Brother Jerry, give me a Bible illustration. I said, great. Didn't think you'd ask. Luke chapter 15. I'm not turning there to read. I'm just telling you a story. You remember the story of the prodigal son? You remember that son was in a far country. He had sinned. He had wandered to a far country. He had taken his toys and gone home. He had done what he wanted to do. And the father didn't go to get him. The father kept doing what he was supposed to do on the homeland, but he had one eye on the road. And when that boy, when he saw that boy coming back, he ran to meet him. And what I'm trying to do as your pastor, I'm trying to light the street lights along this revival road. We've been, we've been talking about the sin for you see, you see, the truth is, if there's going to be a landscape-changing, mind-altering, heaven-sent, Holy Ghost-filled revival, this re- repentance is the starting point. Finish that video. I've not even visited that this time. Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us what we should do, and if we will do it, then this is what God would do. If we will, if my people, Lumble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. I want to say that again. If my people who are called by my name, that'd be us, will pray, will seek my face, and turn, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. If you want your land healed, if you want your land healed, your sin has to be forgiven. For your sin to be forgiven, for our sin to be forgiven as a country, as individuals, as a church, we have to be heard in heaven. And to be heard in heaven, we have to repent. So we've been walking through these ten deadly sins of the church several weeks ago. I'm going to give them to you up here so you can write them down if you want to. Weak pulpits. What is the pulpit? Every pulpit in this church should be preached the uncompromised word. What's the uncompromised truth? We should preach the truth in love. The truth is we are sinners. The truth is, is that God loves us. But what about the love? God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, and he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us. That's our pulpits. And then that's number 10. And then we go to number nine, which is tiny faith. We serve a big God. We serve a huge God. But, but too often we give him just a little bit of faith. Why is it that we trust him to save our souls, to take us to heaven? But we don't trust him to lead us daily. We don't trust him to guide us daily. We don't trust him to make decisions for us. We don't trust him in the big things you see, don't forget, faith is the essence of things not seen. We need a big faith. And then after t- tiny faith is timid prayers. You see, we serve a big God. If we have a tiny faith, then timid prayers follow. God wants us to ask him for things beyond what we have even imagined. I'm trying to get through this quick. Small commitment is next, I believe. Small commitment. I will say this to us. We're all committed to things, but are we committed to him? Are we committed to his church? Are we committed to his bride? The Bible knows nothing of a small commitment. Jesus gave all he had up up to and including his blood and his life. Small commitment. 
Silent witness. Are you getting this? Ten nine eight seven six. Silent witness. And I said last week, and I'll say it again: We're the witnesses for what God can do in our life. And a, and a silent witness is is useless in every venue, whether it's church, court, religion, or anything else. A silent witness is useless, and it's a sin that has to be repented of. And the big one for me here is the next one: No joy. Brothers and sisters, we come into this place, we should be so filled with Jesus that we come in with a smile on our face, with a bounce in our step, that he's done something, that he's going to do something. That should be who we are as a people. It's a sin not to be joyful. So now we're caught up. Writing on your, I'm going, to, I'm going to take two today for the sake of time, and then we'll finish with two next week. This is number four, I think. And it is little compassion. Little compassion. I hate to say this, but we live in a culture that's almost lost its ability to feel. And what's resulting here is violent crime. Or you might want to say crime and violence are just exploding. Needs are growing exponentially because there is no feeling, no respect for human life. So here's my big question. And I want to say this, it happens inside the church too, inside the church family. Oh, you know, we take care of our own. Well, really? Is that the level of our commitment? We just take care of our own? You see, our Lord sent us here to take care of the world. But I have this one question for us today. If Jesus was living in bodily, what would he feel? What would he what would he say? What would he do? What would he be doing? Now, before you answer that and feel like you have the, feel like you personally possess the answer to it, I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. We can see there what Jesus did, Matthew 9, 36. It'll be on the screen. When Jesus saw the multitude, saw the crowd, he felt compassion. Another translation says he was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Distressed and dejected. You can read through all the translations. You know what it says? It says they, they fainted and they were scattered abroad. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were weary and they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. There's no more pitiful sight in the world than a sheep without a shepherd because he doesn't know what to do. Not smart enough. The word compassion that you see on the screen, it's almost like empathy. I didn't say sympathy. I said empathy. Feeling with people. Feeling like where they are. Putting yourself in their place. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus, who is our example, he felt deeply. He spoke regularly to the hurts and needs, 
to those outside of the Father's grace. He responded caringly to everyone. He felt deep in his heart. There's a huge movement among our crowd, the Southern Baptists today, that we don't need to really feel anything. We don't really need to feel anything. It's just, it's a... It's an intellectual ascent to the Father. The argument goes something like this. You can't always trust your emotions. Well, that's true. Is it, your feelings will get you in trouble. Well, that's true. It can. But how about feelings have no place in church? Feelings have no place in worship. Brothers and sisters, our compassion, our emotion, our feelings should not be limited to places outside the church, to people outside the church. And our compassion should not be just limited to our family and our friends. We should be compassionate people. The Bible teaches us, please listen, the Bible teaches us to love God with all that we are. We'll get into that next week. To love God with all that we are. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To love one another and even, are you listening? To love our enemies. Tells us to love and when you get to love, think about this with salvation. With the mouth you confess, because with the head you've heard, but it is with the heart that you believe. The center of your emotions. Taught to love. Now, how about a confession? My observation. Haven't been with you almost a year and a half. We flat out love one another around here. We do. We love one another. Well, that would have been a good place for an amen. We love one another around here. I mean, we're family. If anybody in this, in this body had a need, it would not go unmet. And I didn't say I want. You may want you a, a, a Lincoln Navigator where you're on your own with that. But I said a need. If you had a need, it would not go unmet. That's wonderful. And people should sense that and feel that when they walk in. But here, here's the question that nobody wants to deal with. Does this, does this love, this feeling deep in our soul, does it just extend to those in our family? Or does it extend to those people outside the family? You see, Christ has given us this, this example and the message to love those who are not like us, not with us. And just to, just to have compassion and, and feeling for those inside. Well, my folks are all saved. Really? Is that, is that the level of your compassion? Is that the level of your feeling? Is that the level of your emotion? How sad. Because it's unlike Jesus. You see, this is a sin that we must repent of so that we can have an eye on someone else. What is your compassion score? Zero to ten. I'm about a eight. Well, really, to everybody, to everybody. Well, now that you pushed it, maybe it's a five. What's mine? What's ours? My pastor over in um, George County, Dr. Tommy Mitchell, made this statement one time. We were talking about discipleship, and he said the gravitational pull 
is always away from discipleship, meaning the world's always going to pull you away from it. And here's what I'm going to say in context of this little compassion. The gravitational pull of this old man flesh is always away from caring for others and being compassionate for others. Old man flesh is going to make you be selfish. Hello? going to make you be self-centered. Watch out after yourself. Billy Graham has a great statement. He said, we must never minimize the suffering of another. Scripture's mandate is for, to us is to, Romans 12, if you want to write it down, weep with those who weep. We are to be compassionate. How we respond to people who are not in our circle and not in our family says much about us. It also says much about our Lord. Because when we claim to bear the name of Christ and we don't act like Christ and we act like the world, the pagans, we put a blot on the name of Christ. You see, Jesus was full of compassion, especially to those who were outside of faith. Called to repent. God's not going to send a revival to people who may have little compassion. Repent. Would you bow with me and let me pray and let me pray for over this sin just for a second. Heavenly Father, forgive us for those times that we have had little compassion. I pray that you'd bring it to our hearts and our attention. Lord, we really don't want to be that way. But we realize that we can be and probably have been. As we repent, I pray that you would find it in your heart to forgive us. And fill us so that we can be your people of compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Little compassion. I have been waiting for six months for this to come up. Number three. Dry eyes. Dry eyes. Okay, this is talking about weeping and crying. I don't know if it moved you. I can tell you when, when Sherman and I went to lunch the other day, and he pitched the idea of me putting the, that video down where we could watch it. I, I, now he didn't see it. He didn't know it. But when I drove away from lunch, I had tears in my eyes. Because in my heart, I knew God was trying to do something among us. Because what he was, where he was leading us, where, where Sherman was leading us is, is in this thing of prayer as we head toward revival, is the same place that I sense God leading us. And I was just kind of overwhelmed with it. This morning as, a, as we watched the video, I sat there with tears streaming down my face because, because we do serve a great God. We serve a God that can give us everything that we ask for when we ask in his will. She was asking for people to help I think there's two ways. It seems to me 
It seems to me that there's two little tears. I remember the day when there were tears at the altar. Now let me just let me just continue with this objection. There are objections, Brother Jerry. Uh, I don't believe in getting emotional. And the big one is, we get emotional, we'll get out of hand. And I go, here's what I'm telling you, I've told you before, we're a long way from getting out of hand, okay? Just swallow that one. We're a long way from getting out of hand. I don't believe in getting emotional. And here's what I'm saying to every one of you tonight, or today, if you're saying that, sure you do. Sure you believe in getting emotional. Every one of you get emotional. The issue is, not if you get emotional, the issue is, what do you get emotional over? Hello? I'm going to tell you what you get emotional over. And it's not offensive. You get emotional over what or who you love. You get emotional over what or who you love. I just let that kind of tumble around in your mind just a little bit. I could offer a laundry list of things that we get emotional over, and I could tell you all those things are good things. But the truth is, like it or not, when we get emotional, when something happens to that thing we love or that person we love, tears come. You know why? That's the way we're designed. That's the way that we deal with it. It's our natural response to a range of emotions from extreme sadness to extreme happiness. We cry at funerals and we cry at weddings. Now, you figure out one which you're happy about and which one you're sad about, okay? That's a joke. Go home, take it, think about it on the way home. But there are some benefits to crying. Did you know that? I'm about to help you. I'm not a doctor, but I do a lot of reading that would bore you. But the worst thing in the world you can do with your emotion is repress it. Did you know that? And just so you don't think the preacher has gone off on the deep end, I read at NIH, National Institute of Health, Library of, of Medicine study from 2012. And this is the conclusion. Now, they call that crying where you don't cry, rep repressive coping. Watch this. The current meta-analysis, don't you like that word, reveals significant associations between repressive coping, cancer, and cardiac disease, especially hypertension. I don't even want to see a list of hands of how many people here are on hypertension medicine today. And then the Harvard uh, did a blog, Harvard did a blog that stated that repressive coping, I'm going to read this so I don't get it wrong, repressive coping affects mental health, including stress, anxiety, and depression. From a health standpoint, we are not doing ourselves any favors when we refuse to weep over those things. Weep with people who weep. Weep at the right time. And let it out. Now, there's another objection that I always get when I talk about this. Men, I'm a man. And real men don't cry. They swallow it. Really? Is that, is that your story and are you sticking to it? Are you going to stay with it? Well, there are some things 
that the Bible teaches different. If you're, gonna, if you're going to stick to that story, men, now this is to men, I want you to consider the fact Jesus cried. I can take you to three or four places in the Scripture. I'm going to only give you three here just to remind you that Jesus did weep. In the first place, in John 11, Jesus wept. This was at the tomb of uh, um, Lazarus. Now, why in the world did Jesus weep? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we kind of have to speculate. So can I give you just three possibilities? First of all, we know it could not have been this. His buddy, Lazarus, had died. It couldn't have been that because Lazarus died to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So Lazarus died. He's in paradise. Jesus isn't worried about Lazarus where he is. He's in paradise. Well, then now he knows that he's about to call Lazarus back to this place from paradise. Now you got a reason to cry. Hello? But I don't think that was it. I really think that Jesus walked there and he saw the sisters so brokenhearted. He saw the friends around the grave so brokenhearted that he wept at their hurt. He wept with them in their hurt. That's not the only place Jesus cried. Luke 13 doesn't use the word wept, but it's where he stood and looked on Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would gather you like a chick gathers her young. And I believe he wept there because over in Luke 19, as he was coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, it says as he approached the city, he wept for it. You see, Jesus wasn't afraid of this thing of being. By the way, by the way, I want you to think about the man that Jesus was. And I'm going to just tell you, men, get mad at me. That's fine. You won't be the first or the last. I don't believe there's a male person in this room who could have endured what Jesus endured at the cross and had his sense about him. So when those nails, they were driving those nails in his hands and his feet that he would have laid there and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus' body, he was 33 years old. He was much of a man. He was a carpenter. Now, today we have power tools. I want you to think about it. They had power tools back then. All the power that a man had. Had to go to the woods and, and saw the tree. Had to go to the shop and saw the wood. Had to plane it off. I mean, he was hard as a rock. He was a specimen of a man. And yet he didn't hesitate to cry. I'm going to give you one more thing about this crying before I give you a list of things that we should weep over. When you do not cry, lack of crying, lack of weeping, weeping makes you hard. Listen to me, old men. I'm one. I can say that, can I? Can I? Eric, that's why he addresses me. Hey, old man. Listen to me, old men. Lack of weeping even makes you hard. Makes you calloused, makes you crusty. You repress it long enough and you get so hard that you wonder where those feelings have gone. And when those things stir you and you cry, it breaks through all of that crust, all of that hardness, 
And it brings into our lives what we need. Now, we don't need to be feminine. That's not what I'm saying. But it brings to us a sensitivity, a spiritual sensitivity. It opens our hearts. It opens our soul to hear God speak in ways that we have not heard in a while. I wrote this earlier this week. I had no idea it would be 22 degrees when I woke up this morning. But it's like a frozen pipe, a supply pipe that's frozen. On one side, you've got water that will run. The other side, you got places that need the water. But that frozen part, that ice, not letting it flow at all. That's what happens in your life. God is over here wanting to speak into your life. You're over here. You need him to speak into your life. But there is that old, hard, crusty nature. And it can't get through. Let me give you three reasons we should cry. Three reasons. The first one is over sin. Over sin. My sin. Your sin. Church sin. How long has it been since you've been moved or broken to the point that you wept? Men and women. Wept over sin. Parents used to come to the altar and weep for their kids' sin. They'd come to the altar and they'd weep over their sin. Brother Jerry, can you show me in the Bible where that happened? I didn't think you'd ever asked. Ezra was leading the Israelites into revival. And in Ezra chapter 10, verse 1, it says, While Ezra prayed and confessed, watch this, weeping, and falling face down before the house of God. I mean, Ezra, he's the leader. He did that. An extremely large assembly of men, women, and children gathered around him. The people also wept bitterly. Because they knew God was far from them. They knew they had not sensed and felt his presence. Years ago, Lanny Wolf wrote a course that said, Lord, move me with compassion for the lost. For the millions who are lost and cannot find their way, melt my calloused heart with love no matter what the cost and move me with compassion. Our sin breaks the heart of our Lord, and it should break our heart. If we can sin and don't feel it, one of two things is true. Number one, we've gotten so crusty and so insensitive that we can't hear his voice. Number two, we've never been saved. How long has it been since you did a sin inventory with God about your life? About your arrogance, your attitude? About him speaking to you and talking to you? Weep over your sins. Second thing, and I've already mentioned it just a little bit, over the lost. 
Have you ever thought about the lost people that are here around us? I mean, people. How do you get to hell from Mississippi? You be lost. You don't know Jesus. July of last year, the census tells us that they were just under three million people in the state of Mississippi. Y'all got that? In our little state, three million people. What we know is that there's not a county in Mississippi where over 50% of the people go to anybody's church. Anybody's church. So that tells us, if you're lightning quick mind, that there's at least one and a half million people in Mississippi who are going to find their way to hell from Mississippi. Brother Jerry, that's way too big for me. I, I can't handle those numbers. Okay, let's go to Marion County. On that same date of last year, we had just over 27,000 people in our county. If you apply the 50% rule, we have 13,500 people plus in this county, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, who are going to find hell from this place. And you know what I guess? I don't know that Pud or anybody's counted yet, but I bet we could take this crew right here. And I bet I could put us into groups with a pencil and piece of paper. And I bet we would know several hundred, if not a thousand or two, of those people who don't know Christ. Have we wept over the lostness? And you know what the Bible says about people who don't know Jesus? It speaks of them in Revelation. I believe that scripture is there. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown. Not thrown into the lake of fire. You know, how long has it been since you wept? Over a friend or family member, an acquaintance, a neighbor who was lost. How long has it been since you saw anybody at the altar saying, I'm weeping for my, my son, my daughter. You know, parents don't do that anymore. They don't say my son or daughter's lost. They'll say they're a good boy, they're a good girl, they got a good heart, they just are off track. Could it be that they're just simply lost? How will they they know unless we tell them? Hearts of compassion leads to wet eyes and telling the story. Third reason to weep is because of God's goodness. Because of God's goodness. Do you, have you ever, how long has it been since you sat there and you just thought about how good God has been to you? Think about the worst thing that happened in your life. (laughs) Think about the worst thing that happened in your life. And although it could have been bad, but if God hadn't have been there, how much worse could it have been? It could have been an accident. It could have been a death. It could have been a tragedy. But it overwhelmed you. Without God's goodness... It would have been worse. Let me just give you, I'm going I'm to change up on the screen a little bit. Let me just give you four scriptures to hang on to about God's goodness. 
write them down. You can write down. Psalm 56 says, when I am really afraid, I will trust in you, and that's God. Isaiah 43. Now, this is the one I love. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Now, it could be the waters of circumstances. It could be the waters of my own sin. It can be whatever waters, when I, when I pass through them, he'll be with me. Let that sink in. Because the Lord is indeed near the brokenhearted. And the last scripture says, the Lord heals the brokenhearted. I don't know if that makes you, I don't know if that touches you in the heart to the point of shedding of tears. But it does me. Brothers and sisters, our God is so good that when we were not deserving, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus just for you. I want you to hear this. He sent Jesus just for you. Just for you. But listen, he didn't send him just for you. The gospel came to you. Jesus came to you on his way to somebody else. When we repent of these sins, of little compassion and dry eyes, it could be life-changing. Let's pray together.